0: Tom, ran from Tom's big spiders here. I've had several people ask me since I started doing the podcast to do one about feeders. And I know, I think I covered feeders in a video and might've done it on my blog, but I haven't done it on a podcast yet. So what the heck, here we go. Uh, feeders. <laughs> there are several different things you can use. And please keep in mind that if I don't mention something that you use, please feel free to comment my Facebook page and mention them, but I'm going to try to go through what I use. What I see as the pros and cons of them. Um, everything has its use. Everything has its drawbacks. And then we'll take it from there. So first off, if you're just getting into the hobby, there are several different things you can use for feeders. Number one, let's get that out of the way. Number two, a lot of people like to mix up what they use. So I will use several different feeder items and kind of cycle through so that they get a, a decent variety. A lot of people use roaches and crickets and mealworms and wax We'll get into all of that in a moment. So please keep. Keep in mind if somebody's telling you that the, the feeder you're using, if you're using crickets, they're telling you it's wrong, that's not true. That's just a judgment call. Um, if you're using roaches, it's wrong. Again, not true. I hear a lot of different wives' tales around the different feeder items, but there are some things that you should be aware of. So, first off, let's start with the standard cricket available at most pet stores, easy to get. I use crickets and have used crickets for years. I do not breed crickets. I have a terrible time sometimes keeping them alive or getting them to breed. They stink. That would be a huge drawback to them. They attract nasty things like forward flies and gnats and little bugs and stuff. They can be nasty. I mean, but when one cricket goes down, it's like the rest of them follow suit very, very quickly. Part of it's because I believe they release some type of ammonia or some type of um, chemical or odor that tends to kill the other ones so if you have crickets and you're keeping some you want to make sure that you have something that offers a lot of ventilation so that they don't get packed in and die if one of them dies a lot of times if you're shipping them and a few of them die and they're in a shipping box then the rest of them die very very quickly afterwards so they can be more fragile although I have found and I would be curious to hear other people chime in on this one if you do the basic house crickets the brown crickets as uh die very very quickly and seem to be difficult to keep alive but i was using banded crickets for a while and having a much more luck with them they didn't seem to stink as much they didn't seem to die as quickly so i'd be curious to hear if anybody else has seen that as well so there's a difference i you can buy the regular brown crickets or house crickets and you can buy the banded crickets which seem to be a little sturdier now what i like about crickets is you can buy them in many convenient sizes you can get uh, pinheads which are good for the tiniest slings although they're kind of a pain in the buttocks it's almost better to just pre-kill at that point you have small crickets which are good for slings you have medium crickets which are good for juveniles and then you have large crickets which are good for larger juveniles young adults and adults and I like the fact that I'm very good now at recognizing which size I want to feed and how many I can feed more than one of it's just like they're almost like perfect little portions Uh, they also move a lot so they make great target for hunting tarantulas. Now, let me explain a little further. I still use crickets mostly because of my arboreals, and it's because my arboreals seem to like a moving target. A lot of them will be sitting up high, so it can be difficult if you drop in a roach or a mealworm that it's going to burrow or hide itself for them to know what's in there where the crickets little ding-dongs just kind of move around constantly and make a great target for tarantulas they're good for feeding videos because they're always lively and moving around which I like and literally I have yet to find a tarantula that won't eat a cricket they every single one of them I have has eaten crickets before they have no problem with it Where some of the other prey items they won't take so I think crickets that's why a lot of people will ask me hey Tom why do you still use crickets why don't you have roach colonies I do have roach colonies and I break out the roaches we'll talk about that in a minute um, quite a bit, but I do buy crickets and you can get them wholesale. If you're, if you're looking, if you have a big collection, you can get them sometimes on Amazon or right now I get mine from eBay. There's a company that ships them out 20 bucks, 500 large crickets. They come in two days and I've had great luck with them. They winter ship, they close off the vents in the boxes and put a heat pack in there. And those usually last me anywhere from two weeks to three weeks or so. And then in between, if the shipping weather isn't good, like if it's too cold or too hot, I will supplement or use my roaches from my roach colonies. So crickets, pros they are readily available you can buy them online almost all pet stores seem to carry crickets which is obviously very good so people to get them um, buy a tarantula and have a pet store nearby and only need one or two here and there you can get them for 10 15 cents each Um, I will say that they move very very well and attract they everything seems to eat them all the tarantulas seem to eat them and they move well they're great for arboreals because they'll hop around they'll climb a bit which will attract the arboreals um, the shortcomings or the cons of them is they can be pricey if you buy them by yourself. Go to Petco and see what they charge per cricket. It's ridiculous. One cricket bounces off the table and gets away and I feel like I just lost a dollar sometimes. So they can be a little bit pricey they are also they stink when you try to keep them when they die they reek they smell like rotten animal they release this ammonia smell they can be fragile and they can die easily i've heard many people complain that they get crickets and after two or three days they're all dead some people will go to a pet store and pick up several crickets in hopes of keeping them alive long enough to feed them over several months and it never works out that way um They are also very noisy. Anybody that's watched some of my videos when I'm in the tarantula room can hear them chirping away in the background. Um, I'm good because I have a separate room for them, so I can't hear them when I'm watching TV, but God forbid you keep your tarantulas or your crickets in a room where you're sleeping or where you can hear them. It would drive you kind of nuts. So they're dirty, they're smelly, they kind of die easily, they're not easy to keep, but everything eats them, Um, they can be cut up for smaller slings, they're not too difficult to keep, the trick is to not allow too much moisture to build up, or if some die, to get them out of there immediately, because again, it seems like one dies, there's a chain reaction, and they're all dead, I keep mine, I have a big Sterilite bin with the eggshell cartons in it and basically they have one bowl for food which is ground up cornmeal oatmeal with a little fish food thrown in and then they have another bowl very shallow bowl where I give them either cut up potato or carrots Billy actually takes care of all my feeders and does an amazing job for it and that's about it I don't give them water crystals I definitely don't spray things down and when it gets really humid in the summertime you really want to make sure there's a lot of ventilation where you're keeping them because they can die quickly when it gets humid And if you're just getting into the hobby, these are probably going to be one of your top choices as far as feeder insects because, again, you can buy them at pet stores two or three at a time if you need them. I wouldn't encourage you keeping a bunch on hand because the majority will probably die before you need them. So let's go on to the next thing that you might find convenient, which would be mealworms. Mealworms are fantastic because you can buy them in batches anywhere from, I believe, 50 to up to 1,000. They come in convenient sizes, small medium, large, extra large, don't get confused by superworms, those are a little bit different. And the best part about them is you can buy a package of them, they come in like little deli cups, little white deli cups and filled with oatmeal and they 're in there and you can refrigerate them so when you don 't have when you don 't need to use them all, you can stick them in a refrigerator and just take ones out as you need them, which is incredibly convenient and a lot of people use mealworms you can raise them yourself if you want to. There are tutorials out there' uh, check out YouTube videos how to make a mealworm colony they 're very easy it 's not very involved at all it just takes a little time to set up. you just buy your colony dump them in and and let them go so they're sustainable so for people that have moderate collections that like to use mealworms they're very easy to raise uh the issue i have with them is they can wiggle and get away when you drop a mealworm into a tarantula enclosure if you don't drop it right in front of the tarantula and if the tarantula doesn't grab it up immediately then the mealworm can dig and burrow some of them won't eat them i've had some tarantulas that don't seem to eat them arboreals are particularly tricky with them i found because if you're not somebody that tong feeds then you got to kind of try to drop them in front of them, hope they grab them or else they end up on the ground. One thing you can do to them, which is gross but helps, is if you don't want them to burrow, you can crush or cut off their heads before you drop them in. They'll still wiggle a bit, which will attract the tarantula, but they won't burrow and disappear. When they burrow and disappear, they sometimes reemerge as black beetles, which most tarantulas won't eat. Supposedly the black beetle, beetles emit some type of smell or pheromone or something that turns off thing, uh, potential predators. And a lot of people have found that their tarantulas will not even bite, although I did have a gentleman contact me say he was surprised that I had said this because his all eat them all up, which is great. Mine never ate them. I'd always find the black beetles when I used to use them in the cages and the tarantulas would completely ignore them or bat them away. They're fairly inexpensive. You can also buy them online from Amazon or eBay. A lot of the big companies that sell feeder insects will sell them and you can get a good deal on them. And... They're great for tiny slings. You can cut them up using a razor blade or a knife into little tiny sections and drop a section in and the slings can scavenge feed on them. The only issue I have with mealworms is for bigger tarantulas, you have to drop in quite a few and they can be pretty unmanageable when they get around four or five of them in their mouths. So I just don't find them to be a great prey source for the larger species I have only because I have a lot of larger species I have to feed. If I had two or three. So you might just feed them a little bit more often, but with the amount of animals I have and the feeding schedule I have, that's just not going to be a viable option. I have used them recently, though, in raising baby slings. I love them for that. And I used to use them in the past when I had a smaller collection during the winter time when it was tougher to get feeder insects. I'd have some on hand and could use them. So can you use completely, I, I get a lot of people to ask, can I just use mealworms if you eat my tarantulas? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, you can. That's not a big issue. I just think some things can be a little bit more convenient, especially like crickets and stuff. I love the fact they move, and some of the red runners, the uh, Turkish roaches, red roaches, move a lot more and attract them, but they definitely can be used. Waxworms are another one. You can buy those as well. I believe you can refrigerate waxworms to a point, but they're not not as readily refrigeratable i just made up a word there they're not as easily refrigerated as mealworms i could be wrong somebody correct me i haven't used wax, wax worms in quite some time but they're a little bit fattier um they they look like a, a better meal sometimes for tarantulas because they're fatter there's less of the hard outer shell they're more s- soft and squishy when you see them bite them it's nasty because they like rip right open it's just like a sack of guts and but they are they can make great food sources. I've used these before in the past, many, many years ago, and was happy with them. They're just a little more difficult to come by. They seem to be a bit more expensive. I'm not sure what it takes to raise one. I've never gone there, but you could definitely look up information. So waxworms definitely a good a good alternative. Superworms are another one. They're a different type of insect, not to be confused with the mealworms. Um, they are big, much fatter, so if you're using that type of animal to feed, The Worms, if you like the Worms. They're a lot bigger for the bigger tarantulas. They cannot be refrigerated, which is something to be careful with because if you put them in the refrigerator, you're going to have a bunch of dead superworms. The issue with the superworms is that they can bite. I have a video I posted up and somebody pointed out it was feeding out superworms, trying something different, and the superworm turned around and latched right onto my tarantula's foot. And there have been instances of superworms eating through molting tarantulas, which is about as horrifying as you can get. They can bite. If you hold your finger there, they kind of pinch, and that can be irritating to tarantulas so one of the things you can do is again chop off their heads or crush their heads however like unlike their mealworms they tend to just go completely limp once you crush their heads they stop moving so they don't make a particularly attractive uh, food source for a tarantula that wants to hunt that wants to see something moving that wants its feeding response engaged so just something to think about there And these two can be ordered online in big quantities and can be easily kept for later consumption. I bought a bunch of them. You can keep them on just regular dirt and feed them like oatmeal. I keep mine in a bin of oatmeal, but please keep in mind that one of the issues people have are grain mites that freak them out. The little white mites that come in off of grains and on feeder insects. And it's very easy to end up with grain mites, keeping them this way. So keep in mind that if you do keep them in a container of oatmeal, and what I do is drop in slices of potato and carrot for them to drink. This is an easy way to keep them, but you do run the risk of having mites, which are normally harmless, but a lot of people don't like the idea of possibly introducing mites into their enclosures. So, another good food source. You can also pick them up at pet stores, they're very easy to come by. Now, let's get into the roaches. Uh, the first roach I started using were the lateralis, the B. lateralis blats, or the red runners or Turkish red roaches there's a bunch of different names on them Um, these guys are great because they come in convenient sizes you can usually get them in huge quantities or you can get them in small quantities some pet stores do carry them they come in convenient sizes with like the very small nymphs are excellent for small tarantulas baby tarantulas and slings that you can't find food items for I used to use these I first batch I got was my first slings I got from Jamie's tarantulas and bought some of these and just loved them for feeding the slings and after I stopped buying them it was a pain in the butt trying to find things that were small enough so if you get a little colony of these the small ones are great for slings the large ones are around the size of probably a larger medium cricket or so so they're conveniently sized they do move and run a lot which makes them great items for the arboreals that again you need something that's going to move around and climb and they'll find them although i have seen their smart little boogers when i dropped the bunch in with my m Balfori communal uh last year what ended up happening was some of them took residence behind the water dish and hid behind the water dish so the tarantulas didn't see them and they lived there for quite some time before the tarantulas finally found them and caught on so they can be sly little boogers They are very easy to keep alive you think they're roaches they're tough as nails so if you decide to pick up some and keep them on hand whether you want a colony or just want to keep some extra feeders they're very easy to keep again a well ventilated tupperware container they can't climb so you want to give them some height and keep in mind the mature males do have wings and they can't fly like a fly or a butterfly but they can glide short distances i haven't had too much of an issue Give them good ventilation. I have vents, big vents on the top with wire. I keep them in sterilite. And again, I use the combination of ground-up oatmeal, Cornmeal and some fish flakes for protein. We blend it. Billy does it all, blends it all up, and we give them that with carrots, potatoes, vegetables. They'll eat just about anything. Just keep in mind if it's the warm summer months, you don't want to put anything in there. It's going to become rancid because you get maggots, gnats, fruit flies, and all the undesirables. We've done very well just giving them the carrots, potatoes, and the mix of mash we made with some vegetables and fruits thrown in. Keep in mind if you're trying to breed them, this is a species that likes it a little bit warmer. So some people find that putting a heat had on the side will help stimulate it and supposedly they need moisture so I have noticed that mine will breed readily in the summer when it's very very humid but in the winter it's a bit drier in the room and we don't get as much breeding or as many nymphs so something to keep in mind but they are roaches so they breed pretty readily and it's very important to note that one of the reasons people don't keep these and I do believe they're illegal in some states like Florida is because they could be an invasive species if these get out into your home they will reproduce they will have babies you could get an infestation so something to keep in mind that you need to be particularly careful when using the red runners that they don't escape. All it takes is one pregnant female and you've got a mess. Luckily, Billy's in pest control, so we've got that covered if it ever happens. Uh, Hopefully it never happens because I really don't want to go there. I don't want to have to treat for them, but something to keep in mind. So red runners are really good. The only cons, they are invasive. The males can fly a little bit, but if you raise them, you'll see they don't move very, very far. And they're a little bit smaller, so if you're feeding a larger species, like if I were to feed these to my therophilus or stermi or blonde, they're like tic tacs they're, they're a bit too small where crickets get a lot larger i think but they're easily kept they don't smell that's a good one they, they really like i have one right now i have thousands in it and it doesn't smell much at all as long as you keep the food from rotting or decomposing they're completely fine and you can buy them online i know aaron pauling roaches sells them quite a bit i've gotten them from him great guy and very respected in the business for feeders um, if you buy them on Amazon, know that you're going to pay a lot more for not very many roaches, just something to keep in mind. So for folks who have smaller specimens, these would be great. Uh, the one thing that comes up is people that keep some of the larger specimens and adults find that, you know, it can be a pain in the butt sometimes to drop in multiple crickets or those little red runners are a pain in the butt to try to snatch up with the tongs. So what do you do? Well, another roach type that's very, very popular in the hobby that I happen to keep a colony of are the dubia. Uh, fantastic roaches because the adults get quite large up to about an inch and uh, three quarters or so which makes them excellent for larger spiders i have a obviously a lot of fermictopus species i have my therophosa i have my pamphibetus and these are all big spiders that require big meals so if you're using crickets you're talking about dropping in five six crickets which can be fun to watch and, and it does the trick But I like dropping in sometimes the larger prey. The dubia do get quite large. The males run around and are very, very active. So if you drop a male into an enclosure, they tend to trigger the feeding responses, although they have a little less, quote-unquote, meat on the bones than the females Uh, They're easy to raise. Again, I keep them very similarly to the way we keep our lats, our B-lats, basically large Sterilite container with lots of ventilation. They can't climb, so you don't have to worry about putting Vaseline around the edge or anything around the edge to keep them in, and you keep them warm, and that's about it. And I read originally when I got my colony, I had several people tell me if you don't keep them at like 90 degrees or above, they won't reproduce. Well, I found that's not true. You may get a slower reproduction rate, but during the winter, when it got a little cooler they still were producing nymphs and babies it was there was no problem whatsoever and the temperatures in that room probably go down to 72 degrees because I keep these guys on a bottom shelf so something to think about if you've heard that they have to be 90 degrees that's not exactly the case I haven't found that to be true Um, like the other roaches they can eat any types of vegetables I mean they're roaches and that's something to keep in mind that's what's amazing you run out of roach food like if you're not if you're making roach food and you run out of it go into the refrigerator, grab some, you know, clean vegetables and stuff and drop them in, they'll eat them. The only issue I found with that is again, in the warm summer months, like it's starting to get warm around here, you want to make sure that it doesn't decompose because that can lead to a mess. Otherwise, we feed them, you know, for moisture, every once in a while, spray down a side of the enclosure, but usually giving them some cut up potato, carrots, and I know a big colony can go through these very, very quickly. So it's going to take some you know maintenance on your part to keep make sure that those are replenished and then we do the ground up cornmeal with the fish flakes and put that in there and they've been doing just fine and they reproduce very very well again talk about having um, really convenient sizes the nymphs are great for smaller tarantulas the large ones are great for bigger tarantulas you get all different sizes in there they grow fairly quickly so if you start a colony within several months you'll have a pretty sustainable colony you can start feeding them out And again, I have to say I like them because of the size of the adults are great for the larger tarantulas. I have over 200 animals and when I have feeding time, it's great to drop in four or five crickets to one, but I usually put them in one at a time. So that takes extra time. That's just slowing things down. So if I can pop open my Dubia colony, grab a, you know, big juicy female and drop them in, that's even better because then it's, you know, one and done. One issue people tend to have with them is that they will hide and they're excellent hiders and they can burrow and hide and keep the tarantulas from even finding them so when I first started using them years ago I got them I I was all excited to drop them in and try them out and I dropped them in and the first thing they did was scurry underneath some sphagnum moss and that was it they're gone the tarantula never even saw it and I figured oh well it'll come out at night it'll catch it well one instance it was six months later I was cleaning the tarantulas enclosure and I found one that I dropped in there that I had assumed it had eaten and it was still quite alive and well. So one trick to using these is to, and this is going to be gross, but you grab them with a pair of tongs and you crush the heads. And basically what it does is turn them into little mindless zombies that will wander around aimlessly around the enclosure. They won't hide, they won't burrow, and they make a good moving target for the tarantulas. And I found that this is especially helpful when you're feeding arboreals because the arboreals are the ones that tend to miss them. They're up high, you drop these guys on the ground, they, they scuttle away and hide quickly the zombie ones will wander around sometimes even do a little bit of climbing and make themselves a better target for the arboreal so you don't have to worry about digging them out later but these guys are again you can get them at Aaron Pauling Roaches you can get them on Amazon sells them just know that if you buy them like I believe Petco sells them and they're, it's disgusting because they're in these little 16 ounce deli cups and there's like four of them in there and they want to charge you 10 bucks for them so that's like think that it's like two fifty a roach, which is ridiculous. To two dollars a roach, which is absolutely ridiculous. So for people who want to check these guys out and use them, I would go online, do some price searches, look for somebody that has them, they can give a good price on a colony. I used to buy off a guy that was on arachno boards that would sell a great he was a wonderful price. It was like twenty eight bucks shipped priority mail and it was a a good sized colony with some good adults and he'd actually throw in some larger adults to feed out, which was great. So that's something you want to look for. But again, they're very, very easy to keep. They'll do well in the winter. Don't panic again. I want to point that out because I think a lot of people avoid them because they're like, well, it gets too cool in here in the winter. Just worst case scenario. If you think it's too cool and they're not reproducing well, stick one of those reptile heat mats on the side, give them a warm area and just make sure you, you know, either spray down the side or give them enough vegetables that have moisture in it so that they can thrive. They do take a little you know, a little longer to grow than some of the other species, but once you get a colony started and if you have a modest sized collection, this, a lot of people find this is the way to go. Uh, the only other issue I can think of with these guys, and I've run into this quite a bit myself, is some things don't seem to take them as readily as the crickets. The crickets, again, I go back to the crickets. I hate crickets. I'd love to get away from using crickets, especially because it costs me money because I keep buying them, but I found that when you have this many animals and you're trying to make sure that they pick them up and catch them them on the first try that some of them will kind of bat them away at first. I even have Formictopus which are my best eaters by far and I have a couple of them that will not touch these things. Or I have some that you'll drop them in they kind of feel them around a little bit. It takes them a while to actually take the bait and bite them which when you're doing feeding and you're staring sitting there watching these guys bat them around and play with them for 10 minutes while you really have other animals to feed can be a little bit frustrating. So something to keep in mind I have had people that email and after picking some of these up and go hey tom i picked these up um unfortunately half the things won't eat them that can be an issue i have found most will eventually come around and the best thing to do is start off with smaller sizes with them and once they start taking the smaller ones hand them the bigger ones that sometimes works but i have talked to people that just have ones that won't eat them at all so that's something to keep in mind but the best part about them is they're so easy to raise they do not smell unless one of them dies and keep in mind these are big roaches so when one of them dies, it can make quite a stink. So you want to make sure this isn't something you just put in a shelf and forget about for a couple of weeks. You want to make sure you perform proper maintenance, keep them from rotting that can attract undesirables. You can buy maintenance crews. And I'm looking into this now for roach colonies that will actually eat the dead roaches and some of the waste from them, which is fantastic. So Billy and I are actually looking into doing that this summer to kind of clean these things up. But overall, they're really not that messy when you take them out, you keep them on the Egg cartons and you take the egg carton, shake the poo out dump the bottom stuff out and you're in good shape but it doesn't take a lot of maintenance and I don't do that very often so a great feeder insect for those who want a sustainable colony and especially for folks who have bigger ones because they do get nice and big just be careful you don't need a lot of males in your colonies there's I know there's a magic number of how many males you're supposed to have to females and I honestly don't know it and I'm not gonna lie and make one up but I keep you know several males around but I want the females to vastly outnumber the males because all the males will do is eat the resources so what I do is the males out usually and feed them out first and then occasionally feed out some nice fat females. But be careful because if you drop in a gravid female and she hides, you can have little roaches running around your enclosure. So again, easy to keep. um, Not particularly expensive if you shop around and get some online from a feeder dealer like somebody that actually specializes in feeder roaches that's the way to go if you buy them at Petco or on Amazon you're going to spend a lot more for them you can feed them with stuff you just have around the house you can do what Billy I do create your own food it doesn't take that long and they can feed all types of sizes the downside is some things won't take them you do probably want to crush the heads before dropping them in so they won't burrow but that's about it great feeder bug And, and one I keep again I keep here to make sure I always have on hand for feeding those larger ones now next one up not used as commonly but they do make for good feeders for larger ones and I like them for the arboreals for the reason that they can climb and that is the Madagascar hissing cockroaches I have a colony of these I actually got them from a science teacher at the school I work out had a whole tank full of them and he was looking to get rid of them heard I sometimes use roaches when the kids hook me up and I end up with a bunch of them they just like all the other ones you can feed them the same way you can keep them in a similar situation they do appreciate a little more humidity but I found again the roaches they're very very adaptable but if you want them to reproduce they need moisture I've seen what happens if it gets too dry what will happen is the females will lay their sack their eggs and then they'll turn around and eat it right away and this happened with some that I was trying to breed I let it get too dry and she laid the sack I was all excited and then it was gone We're like what the heck How happened to it I swear to God it was in there well come to find out she ate it because it was too dry so you do want to make sure that they've got a little moisture fruits vegetables they'll eat all that stuff um, they the good thing about them is for the really large species again your Formictopus your um, My Sturmi, therophosa Sturm these are great because they're just good sized meals. So for folks that are like, Oh, should I start feeding out mice and stuff? I would check these guys out first, only because they're you know, they're a little less messy, but keep in mind they are big bugs, so if you feed a tarantula one and they don't finish it, you're gonna have a mess on your hands left behind. And they like for my stermy, drop in one big adult and oh my gosh, that's it. It's it's nasty to watch. So the crunching sound is just ugh. But it's great for those larger tarantulas and then the smaller ones the ones that are about an inch and a half I found are really good for arboreals because they can climb now this is both a pro and a con the pro is you drop them in an arboreal container they are going to climb up the sides they're going to climb on the foliage and they are going to make themselves a great target for the arboreals I've used these for my pokies for quite a while now when I want to fatten them up after a molt and that's another thing to keep in mind when you're trying to fatten up your tarantulas these are good ones because it's a big meal right off the bat and what they will do is they will climb all around until the tarantula finds it and eats it which is great. Um, the downside to the climbing is the fact that if you do keep them, they can climb out of their enclosures. They will climb right up the side of it. So what you need to do is what we do is put a layer of petroleum jelly around the upper edge, upper rim of the container, and they won't get past that rim because the little nymphs can get right out and about. And we had one instance where we missed a spot and we had nymphs on the floor. I was like, where are these things coming from? Um, not invasive. As far as I know, they definitely haven't, they dry out too easily in, uh, well, at least in my climate, I'm in Connecticut where it dries out in the winter, but it can be a pain in the butt. You don't want roaches all over your house. So that's something to keep in mind because I will tell you it makes cleaning them a little more difficult. When I clean my other roaches, I can basically get a separate container, take out all the egg cartons with all the roaches, put them in there and then dump out the container, wash it out, clean it. When you have a layer of Vaseline or I believe there's some other, they they make an anti-climb grease that you can put around the side too, I believe. And there's other things you can use. You can look that up. But it makes it a little more difficult to clean out because if you go to dump it, all the poo gets caught up in the Vaseline or whatever you're using, and then you kind of have to scrape it out. So last last time I had to clean these guys, it was not very much fun. You're going to want to put on some gloves or something because it's, it gets kind of nasty. But besides that, they grow pretty well. They do, they're a big species, so it takes them a little while to get going. So if you start a colony, if you get a male and a female adult or whatever they're selling, sometimes they sell like one male and three females, it'll take you a while to get it going. But the sizes are pretty convenient, again, and I particularly find them useful for those arboreal species and for my big hitters, the big ones, to fatten them up. So again, another good feeder alternative, not as commonly used as some of these, and I think probably one that would be more appropriate to people with larger specimens and perhaps larger collections, because you're, you're going to be feeding out... The adults, you're going to be looking for some big spiders to eat them, and they do reproduce very readily, so if you don't play your cards right and you don't feed a lot of them out, you're going to have a lot of big roaches on hand, which which is okay, I guess, because people, people do keep them as pets, but... Personally, I, I see fewer people needing these than some of the other species of roaches. And then, of course, if you go online, there are lots of types of roaches you can feed out. And I'm not going to cover them all here, but if you go to feeder, some of the places that sell feeder insects, you'll see other types of ro- roaches, goblin roaches, things of that nature. Um, lobster roaches, I believe, is another popular, semi popular one that people use. So I don't want people to freak out if they're feeding a different type of roach than I've mentioned here. I just, I could literally go on forever talking about. The different types of feeder roaches but I'm trying to limit it so it doesn't go on too long about me just talking about feeder bugs and for people in the UK I am incredibly jealous of you guys because we don't have these over here but I often often see the locusts the they're kind of greenish or uh, almost like a yellow color and they feed those out I would love those because they look nice and big and juicy we don't have those in the US as far as I know somebody please correct me if I'm wrong because I'd love to use them so if you're listening to this and you're in the UK and you're like why didn't you mention those it's because I I don't have experience with them I'd love to use them I've seen videos Alan Hicken the uh, Spider-Man feeding his out and I would absolutely love to use them because they look like big vibrant meals they make for great feeding videos but we don't have those unfortunately and then another question I get from a lot of new keepers is they just get into the hobby they've got a modest collection you know three or four a couple slings maybe an adult and they ask should I bother getting a colony going and this one's, it's honestly a tough question. Personally, I think if you're only keeping a handful of tarantulas, you're probably don't need a roach colony yet. Now, if you realize, like a lot of us do, you buy three or four and you look at your, you know, your online shopping and you're like, man, I'm going to have like 40 of these within a year. Then in that case, maybe start setting one up now, get it going, figure out how to do it. Maybe get a little colony of red runners going or some Dubia, so that when your collection explodes like it does with a lot of us, you have them on hand to feed out. So that I could understand. But for folks, I get this a lot. Like, hey, Tom, I just got in the hobby, I'm loving it, and I, you know, been feeding crickets, but I've heard those are wrong, and that's not true. That there's nothing wrong with feeding crickets. I think a lot of people in the hobby move away from because they're kind of a pain in the butt compared to the other. You know, the roaches basically, but it's not wrong to feed them crickets at all. But hey, I'm thinking about getting a colony going. What do you think? And then my answer would be if you don't see yourself having a lot more tarantulas in the near future, I would hold off for the time being unless you plan on selling them because these guys, again, they're roaches. They're known for anybody that's had to deal with roaches before. They're known for reproducing rapidly and creating a lot of babies. And so if you have four or five tarantulas on hand and you get a good colony going and you get the temperatures right and the heat right, you're going to have way more roaches than you need before you know it. So I would say if you just have a handful, probably lay off or just get a little small colony going. I've heard people that buy, you know, a few adults and get that going. That's probably appropriate. But for people that have only a few, maybe hold off until you start getting more. For most of us, it'll only be a matter of time before you have, you know, a hundred. If you only have that many, I'd probably be more inclined to encourage you to get a mealworm colony going because those are, again, easy, they reproduce quickly, and you can get more than enough to take care of your collection, but they're not going to be like keeping a huge sterilite bin full of roaches, which could be problematic if, you know, you're a smaller area. And that's something to think about, too, when raising these things, you're going to have to have a place to keep them, and they do take up some space. If you ever see videos of my tarantula room the bottom shelves are devoted to feeders and I have four huge sterilite containers full of feeders so that takes up a lot of space so that's something to think about as well so if again if you're just starting out and you have a handful it's up to you I never try to dissuade anybody from doing anything or if you hey, if you're in a situation I know a lot of people now are finding that in their states or local towns they're starting tarantula groups so hey if you only have a handful but you know a lot of people in the area that have tarantulas you could definitely sell them off and that could help you sustain and get 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 some money to buy new tarantulas, which is cool, but for the most part, you know, hold off on the, I would say hold off on the roach colonies until you have, you know, a lot more tarantulas, 10, 20 or so might be time to think about it, or if you feel like you're heavily bit and you're going to about to buy a whole bunch, then think about it. Another question I get about feeders is, would it be okay to pull bugs from outside? Personally, I would say no. I'm not taking that chance. With the amount of stuff that's sprayed in people's yards and communities when they try to get rid of the mosquitoes and ticks, and I wouldn't want to take the chance of getting an insect that's been contaminated, so I have never used anything from outside. I know people are probably going to chime in and be like, I've been doing it for years. That's totally fine. That's your... I'm not going to argue that. I just don't want to take the chance. I want to know that what I'm getting hasn't been exposed to pesticides or anything of that nature. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I order from some place that's raising them or if I raise them myself. So, yeah, I would honestly encourage people not to pull (laughs) flat out I would say don't pull anything from outside it's not worth the risk you never know what your neighbors spraying something in their garden I have farmland around me where I know they're probably spraying for stuff I I live in enough panic worrying about somebody's going to spray something in the area for the mosquitoes or whatever during the summer and it might filter in that it might harm my animals so I'm not playing that game just try to avoid taking things from outside you should be able to fight feeder insects and the couple bucks it's going to cost you to purchase these more than outweighs the risk I think of feeding contaminated insects to your animals and possibly harming them. Another question that comes up about a lot is about feeding vertebrates like lizards and mice and things of that nature. I personally don't do it. And it's only because well, A, it's, it's nasty, especially if they're alive. It's not something I, I really care to see. And I've already covered this in another podcast. But B, the mess that's left behind is really nasty. So if you feed them vertebrates, lizards, stuff like that, it makes a big gooey mess when they're eating it. If you do it in the summertime, it does not take long for that big gooey mess to decompose and attract flies and maggots. And you just get a mess. So I tend to steer away from that. So when people ask me, My answer is I personally don't do it. Obviously, other people do and they have a good time with it and they have no issues with it. So that's just my personal thing. I'm not going to tell people that it's wrong. It's not. It's just not my cup of tea. But if you do feed out vertebrates, vertebrates, please keep in mind, if you're dropping in a live mouse, a live mouse can, in fact, defend itself and can harm your spider. So that's something to think about. And the mess, you want to make sure you're cognizant about the fact that the mess is going to be pretty nasty, especially in the summertime. So you want to make sure you can get in there and get rid of the sloppy mess of it. You know, usually use a spoon or something and scoop out the area that the contains that bolus after the fact and don't let it get nasty and rancid so that's about all I can think of at the moment I'm sure folks will have more questions as this one goes live and people comment on Facebook so we can definitely the way I'd like to do these podcasts is what happens is I sit here I get talking and obviously I'm going to miss something so if people bring stuff up in the discussions on Facebook it'll allow me to do updates on these in future installments and kind of cover some of the questions which I think makes this a bit more organic because it's not just me talking it's me talking people asking questions and me hopefully answering the questions so please chime in with what you use and any experiences you've had with them or if I forgot something here please feel free to let me know can't can't always cover it all I, I come in with my notes but sometimes i miss things um thanks again anybody that listens again if you want to comment you want to head over to my facebook page tom's big spiders check that out and leave your comment there or if you're looking for just general husbandry information you can check out my youtube channel or my website under tom's big spiders Uh, both of them have a plethora of information just my experiences and again i try to put forth i am not an expert at this I'm just trying to share things that work for me, I do a lot of reading, I talk to a lot of people, so the idea is to try to make it just a little bit easier for people getting into this hobby to get information that they can trust, because I know there's a lot of conflicting stuff out there, but it does kind of make me wince when people are like, you're an expert, I'm not, just because I'm able to get on YouTube or do a website, that does not an expert make, and I want to make that very, very clear. Uh, I've got some experience, but I've still got a lot of ways, a long ways to go before I could even consider calling myself an expert. And quite frankly, I will never get there. I can say that without a doubt. There's always going to be more to learn. So I just wanted to cover that because I've, I've gotten a couple lately going, oh, you're an expert on this. No, I'm not. I'm just some dude that plays with spiders that does YouTube and a blog and now the podcast obviously which I think doesn't necessarily make me an expert more some type of uber goober or something of that nature so again thanks so much for listening again I hope some of you guys chime in and for those of you who have been long-term listeners or following me I apologize for being a little scarce lately on the comment section I do teach for a living and it's my busy time of year but summer is coming up and I've got some incredibly exciting things planned for a the podcast for my website and for my YouTube channel. That's my busy time of year as far as the spider stuff, because I have all the time in the world to work. So thanks so much. Hope to see you guys in the comments section of Facebook. I am now going to sign off because I keep saying thanks so much and I keep going. Thanks for listening.